are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Today I would like to speak on humility. My subtitle is, There is a God and I am not Him. Uh, yeah, I've seen that in a few TV shows and I've heard in a few movies. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's very true. Uh, let us pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for spring and the beautiful weather that's outside. And Lord, I just pray that the word that goes out today is your word, Lord. And that you would prepare the hearts of the people to receive that word today. And I do thank you, Lord, that your word is going out in many other churches this morning here in Cold Lake and in the surrounding areas. Amen. <clears throat> and when Lance asked me if I wanted to preach today, I had a few ideas rolling around in my head. And it's kind of like, well, I could do that, I could do that. And none of them felt right, so I wasn't quite ready for them. So I started praying and I started thinking. And what came to mind was humility. And you know, I've read about humility before, I've thought about humility before. And what I do remember is after reading about it, figuring out just what a fundamental concept it is for a Christian to be humble and to have humility. But I got to tell you, I don't ever remember it impacting me the way these last two weeks have as, as I've prepared for today. Um, I started listening to some Mark Driscoll sermons, and then he recommended a book by a man named C.J. Mahaney called Humility, True Greatness. And so I, I got the book. I mean, the beauty of the technological age, I grabbed my Kindle, Kindle store, humility, enter, 20 seconds later, I got the book. Thing of beauty. And he opened up his book by saying, he said, there's people out there who are going to see humility by C.J. Mahaney and say, well, who is he to write a book on humility? And he said, exactly. He said, I am not a humble man. I am a proud man who, by the grace of God, is pursuing humility. And I read that. I'm like, well, that's interesting. I didn't really get it yet. But as I was reading through the book and I was listening to other things and, and thinking, I started to really get it. I am not a humble man. So as I stand up here this morning to speak on humility, I am a proud man who by the grace of God is pursuing humility. So what is humility? I'll start by what it is not. It is not cowardice. It is not compromise. It is not being a pushover. And it is not weakness. But that's how society portrays it to us, right? Nobody in society wants to be humble. You don't go to school and they say, today we're going to cover the topic of humility. They teach you about self-esteem, that you want to feel good about yourself, that you want to love yourself, you want to affirm yourself. You know what? Our affirmation comes from God, not from man and not from ourselves. And so self-esteem is just another word for pride. And another word that we sometimes use for humility is meekness. And I think the problem the word meek has is that it sounds an awful lot like weak. And so in the English language, it kind of doesn't even have a chance to be a real word for us. But you know what? Meek is in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. So that's something else we should pursue. I looked it up in the dictionary. One of the definitions was patient, long-suffering, and humble. So meekness and humility have a lot in common. So if that's what meek or humility is not, then what is it? And you know, there's a hundred definitions out there, and the best way I found to put it is just simply knowing that God is God and we are not. You know, if we know and understand our place in the divine pecking order, it's very easy to stay humble, right? God is here, we are here. If I was Lance, God could be here and here, and we are here. And if we can keep that in mind, 
it's pretty easy to stay humble. I mean, even that majesty song we sang this morning, it said, humbled by his majesty. God is wholly other from us. We have nothing in common with him except for the grace that he gives us. And so if we can keep that in mind, it's easy to stay humble. You know what? Jesus was humble. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus was not weak. He was not cowardly. He was not a pushover. He was not compromising. In fact, he stuck to his guns and they hated him for it. The Pharisees controlled culture in that day. They could not control Jesus. He knew what he was on this earth for. He stuck to his mission and he completed and that's why they hated him so much. So the opposite of humility in our life is pride. And pride has been called the mother of all sin. And so what that means is that the root of basically all of our sins is pride. It's because we think that we know better than God. And so we try to supplant God in our life by saying, look, you know, I know the Bible says this, God, but my situation's different, so I'm going to do this. And all of that comes out of pride. Satan's original sin was pride. Um, it's not really as clear in the Bible as I thought it was, but in Isaiah 14 it talks about it in some revelation that before God created us, he created angels, and that at one point Satan became proud and challenged God in some way. It doesn't say exactly what way, but he challenged God in some way, and for that he was cast out of heaven. So really the first sin that ever happened was pride. But then if you do go to Genesis... When Satan comes into the garden and starts talking to Eve, he starts tapping into pride there. He's saying, look, there's more out there than you know about, and God's holding out on you. If God really loved you, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't hold out on you. And so what he did there is he started to convince Eve. I mean, yes, it was a deception, but it was a deception based in pride. He started to convince Eve that, you know what? Eve started to think, you know what? Maybe God is holding out on me. Why doesn't God show me everything? And that's where that first sin came from. Last week, Cindy said when she was preaching, maturity has more to do with learning our lessons than our physical age. Humility is exactly the same thing. You can be very young and very humble. You can be very old and very proud. Humility has to do with learning what God is trying to teach us and continuing to learn what God is trying to teach us. Uh, proud people don't get more mature. And why would they? Because they would happily tell you they're already there. And they'd be happy to tell you why they're there and how they got there. Right? And so we need to stay humble if we are going to continue to mature in God. And I would like to say this is a lifelong battle. It's not something that you flick a switch one day and say, I'm there, I'm good, see y'all, right? It's, it's going to be a lifelong thing, step by step by step. God will reveal the areas of pride in our life and we can start to work on them. Because we all have pride issues, I took a uh, behavioral-based safety course from ESSO when I was there, and one of the stats he used is that 94% of drivers believe that they are above average, right? And I'm no different, right? When I make a mistake, it's a small mistake, but that Yahoo, he shouldn't even be on the road, right? We, we all think that way, and so there, there is some pride in there, but I got to tell you, there's a couple warnings in the Bible that we should be very aware of. Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. That's out of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom. Also, James 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The problem with pride is that it sneaks up on you while you're doing well. So you start out with the right attitude. God, I think I want 
think you want me to do this, so I'm going to pursue it. You start doing it. It starts going well. You start to forget that God was the one that gave you the idea and that God is continuing to give you grace to allow it to proceed in a good manner. And pretty soon you start thinking, no, I'm good. This is good. I'm working hard. Things are going well. And that's how it starts. And pretty soon you forget that God was even involved. But you know what? There's a Bible verse for that too. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing is a very all-consuming word. <laughs> Turns out it means not anything. Nothing, not anything. So we can do nothing without God. So if things are going well in your life, thank the Lord that things are going well in your life because it's by his grace that they are. This does bring up a side issue. Does this mean that we should not be good at what we do? There's a very simple answer for that. No, is the answer to that question. We are to pursue excellence in all that we do. God has gifted each one of us with a certain gifts, and we are to use them to further the kingdom of God. I, I don't have the verse here, but there is the, it's in the New Testament somewhere where God's, where Paul is talking, and he says, look, there's the whole body, and everybody gets to be a different part of the body. Some are more, get more honor, get more praise, are more visible. Some are more hidden, but every part of the body is important. So you are here, you are part of the body, you have been given gifts, and you are to use them to further the kingdom of God. A couple of verses for that. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Ephesians 6.7, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So the Bible is very clear. When we're working, it doesn't matter what we're doing, we're working as if we're working for the Lord. And we should always want to give the Lord our best in everything that we do. And so we, the other thing that we hear sometime then is, well, if, you know, people want to bury their gift because they don't want to appear proud, so they, they kind of bury their gift and they don't pursue it because they don't want to appear proud to other people. And that kind of goes all the way the other way. That's not the right attitude either. God has given you a gift to use and you should use it in order to not be proud of it and remember where it came from. Right? If you have a gift, that gift came from God, and you can use it to further the kingdom of God. Another problem we sometimes have is we say, well, I can do X pretty good, but I would really like to do Y. So-and-so does Y. Man, that looks cool. I'd love to do Y. And so though we don't do X, and we start praying to God, Lord, I want to be able to do Y. Help me be able to do Y. And it's not wrong to try to get better at things and to try new things, but don't ignore the gifts you already have and go after other people's gifts. Look at what you have and don't be afraid to use it for the kingdom of God. Turtle on a pole. The point of this is if you see a turtle on a pole, you know he had help getting there, right? And so Alex Haley, he's the guy that wrote Roots. It was a fairly popular movie when I was young, a long time ago. And he said, you know, he kept a picture like this in his office because he said... Every time I get to the point where I step back and say, wow, look at what I'm doing. It's pretty awesome. I turn and I see that picture and I remind myself that if you see a turtle on top of a pole, he'd help getting there. I'm just a turtle on top of a pole and God helped me get up there. So I want to talk about Jesus for a couple of minutes. Jesus is our perfect example of everything in life. 
is his example that we are to follow. So I want to read Philippians 2, 1 to 11 that talks about how Christ was on this earth. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. So it's a fairly long chunk of scripture and there's an awful lot in there, but basically Jesus was up in heaven in full communion with God and he chose, freely chose to lower himself, come down to earth, be born as a man, live a human life and pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, the most humble act that has ever occurred. He sacrificed everything he had so that we can be reconciled with God. There are a couple other biblical examples that I can talk about. Uh, one was Moses. If you look at Numbers 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of the Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Has he, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And I just want to stop for a second. And the Lord heard this. So when you speak against someone the Lord hears it. So it's not that you can't speak the truth. They're not speaking the truth here. They were slaying him because he married someone they didn't like. So if you're speaking against someone, God hears it. And you need to remember that God has a long memory. <laughs> and a short memory if you ask for forgiveness. I don't want, that sounded bad when it came out. Be, be careful how I put that there. Um, <laughs> just remember that God has got your back. You may not see it right away, but God has got your back. On to verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Uh, what's interesting about that is that um, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Numbers is one of the first five books of the Bible. So Moses wrote, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, right? Now if it's true, you can write it. <laughs> you see what I mean? If you are truly humble, then you can write it. And so I always found that very, very interesting that Moses like, you know what? Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Some, um, I don't know if you've heard this joke before. It's an awful joke, but I'll tell it to you anyway. So I was at a church once, and they gave me a pin for being humble, but then they took it away because I wore it. Oh. Yes, thank you for groaning. That's the appropriate response to that joke. Moses could have worn a humble pin. He was truly a humble man. I don't think he would have, but I think he could have. So why was Moses so humble? It doesn't directly say in the Bible, but I think it was because he spent 40 days in the presence of God on the top of Mount Sinai. So when the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai, God descends in the thunder and the lightning. The people fell back 
but Moses pressed in. And he spent 40 days and 40 nights on top of that mountain alone with God. And I think that fundamentally changed who he was and gave him an appropriate sense of self that he carried with him until he died. And one more quick thing, verse 9, Numbers 12, verse 9, says the Lord's anger burned against them. So they spoke against God's chosen person, and the Lord's anger burned against them. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Oops, that was the wrong button. John the Baptist. There we go. Next example. I want to read another section of Scripture, Matthew eleven seven to 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to the wilderness to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way for you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the main point Jesus is making at the end there is that those of us that are in the kingdom of heaven are greater than the greatest man who isn't. But he says, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So God said, there has been no greater man than John the Baptist. If he said that about me, I would be proud. I would have no chance of not being proud <laughs> because that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. But you know what? John knew exactly who he was. John had a very good sense of self. And so we look at another section of Scripture. This is from John 3:25 to 30. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came back to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. So John knew exactly what his job was. It was his job to be the one that prepared the way for Jesus. And so when Jesus came, he knew that his job was complete and it was time for him to step back out of the limelight. John was very popular. He had a lot of disciples. People followed him all over the place. But he knew it was time to step out of the limelight and allow Jesus to take his rightful place in the limelight. And you know what? John was killed soon after. He, never, he didn't live to see Jesus die on the cross and rise again or any of those things. He died soon after having completed his mission on this earth. So how can we mature? Well, there are only really two paths to humility. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. And I must commend to you plan A. <laughs> humble yourself. Because if you are humbled, it will probably include some humiliation and nobody likes that. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
The thing is, if you raise yourself up before your appointed time, God will have to knock you down. That doesn't mean God cannot use us as proud people. Like I said before, we all have some pride issues. We're all working on them. But God still uses us, sometimes in very mighty ways, because God can use the little bit of humility that we do have in our lives. But if you raise yourself up ahead of time, you, you will have to be knocked down. It might not be far. If you learn your lesson quickly, maybe God only has to take you down a little bit before it's time to raise back up again. But if you can humble yourself, then at the appropriate time, you'll be raised up. If we look at the example of Peter, um, he said some pretty arrogant things. He seemed to be the kind of guy that spoke what his mom was mind at the time. And he said a few things that got him in a little bit of trouble. But you know when when they took Christ away to be crucified, then he denied Christ because he was afraid to be associated with them. And the fear of man is rooted in pride as well. And so then, but he realized the depth of his mistake. He was humbled deeply in that moment. So when Christ came back from the dead, he took Peter aside and made Peter the head of the first church. And so that was the appropriate time. Peter had to be humbled so that he was truly ready to lead the church after Jesus went back to heaven. Another verse that I have up there, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This should be the most terrifying verse in the Bible to us. Because, you know, we sing that song sometimes, if our God is for us, then who can stop us? Well, if God is against us, we got nothing. We got nothing. And so this, like I said, this should be just a terrifying verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if we're proud, we're say, we are st- if we are proud, we are standing in direct opposition to God. And I can think of no better reason to pursue humility than that verse alone. So in C.J. Mahaney's book, um, he looked at some of the great men and women of God in the history of the church, read their books, and kind of put together a list of things that some of them had done in order to maintain their humility. And he said the, the one that he saw in all of them first and foremost was just to simply reflect on the cross. And we sang that song this morning, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. If we consider the cross accurately, it is very hard to have any pride. Jesus hung on that cross that day because of our sin, your sin, my sin. So God had to leave heaven, be born in the form of a man, and pay the ultimate price. It says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. He had to pay that death and death on the cross because of what we have done. And if you can consider that and think, you know what, because of what I did, we had to kill God. That's just a very, very, very humbling line of thought. And so he said, that's "That's one thing I consider every morning when I get up. I reflect on the cross to remind myself of what I've truly done. Another thing we can do is begin each day acknowledging your need for God. Proud people don't need anybody. So if we can humble ourselves and say, you know what, God, I need you. I need you today to get through whatever I need to get through. I need your help today to accomplish what you have set out for me to accomplish this day. That is a humble line of thinking. Another one is we can express our gratitude to God often. Like our culture is so me-oriented. You deserve this, you deserve that. 
And so we just were constantly bombarded with, you know, you deserve a new vehicle every two years. You deserve an iPad. That's our hot. Everyone wants an iPad, right? We don't deserve anything. We are so richly blessed here in Canada that I think because we've lived in it for so long, like most of the people that are here today, you've always had enough food to eat pretty much, you know. But if you go to bed not hungry every night, by the world standards, you're already rich. If you own a car, you're even richer. If you own a home, by the world standards, you're unbelievably rich. But because we see it all the time, it's like, eh, everybody has that, don't they? So then we start to think, well, my TV is 55 inches, but my neighbor's is 60. My TV's not good enough, right? I drive a Honda, he drives a Volvo. My house is 1,100 square feet, his is 1,500. And we, we start to lose focus on what's really important and remember that we have been given so much. You know, if you were to talk to some of our Canadian Forces members that have been posted... Like, have gone to Afghanistan and, and, like, Bosnia a number of years ago. Um, they would tell you how the rest of the world lives and just how good we have it. I had one say to me, because I do taxes for a living, I'm an accountant, and she said, Ben, after being overseas, I don't mind paying taxes anymore. <laughs> we have it so good. Also, we can practice the basic spiritual disciplines. Pray, read the Bible, and worship. And I know that kind of sounds like a broken record. Everyone says we should do that. But you know everyone says we should do that because it's important. It's really important. If you spend time talking to God, if you read your Bible and get a sense of what God, who God is and what he's doing and those kind of things, and if you worship God, because worship is giving glory and honor to whom it is due, you can worship the wrong thing. But if you're worshiping God, you're absolutely worshiping the right thing. These things are important. These things help us remember who we are and what our rightful place is. Also, we can cast your, our cares upon him. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. We like to worry about things we can't control. What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if this happens? What if that happens? That stress is toxic. Your body's stress response is actually toxic, and it's not good for you. If you live in a constant state of anxiety and a constant state of worry, you'll find yourself, you'll be sick more than other people because your body just can't handle that constant stress response. And so what we need to do is when we're praying to God, you say, God, I'm really stressed about this, and there's nothing I can do about it, so I give it over to you. My job's gone tomorrow. There's nothing I can do about it. I give it over to you. Now, this isn't a one-time thing. You'll find yourself, you'll give it to God, and then you'll take it back, and you'll start worrying again. So you have to give it to God again, and you'll take it back. But if you continue to do it, you'll start to cultivate that attitude of, you know what, God is in control. God loves me. God cares for me. It's going to be okay. Okay is kind of a tough word to use there because it's God's version of okay, not our version of okay. It doesn't mean you'll get everything you want. It doesn't mean you'll, your life will work out the way you planned it. It just means that God is in control and you're allowing him to be in control. And also don't be afraid to laugh and especially laugh at yourself. Proud people take themselves very seriously. And if they do something wrong and you were to laugh at them, they would find that horribly offensive. So don't be afraid to laugh at yourself. We all do stupid things. Like I got this mat here so I don't trip over the cords. I'm terrified of tripping over the cords. So I'm kind of stepping, right? We all do stupid things. 
Go ahead and laugh at yourself. It's not the end of the world. Everybody makes mistakes. Some continuing practical suggestions. You know what? Serve. Humble Christians bless their church, and they bless those around them. Now, it has to be done with the right attitude because you can serve proudly. And so the right attitude is, you know what? I have been blessed, so I am going to be a blessing to others. Right? God has blessed me. I pass that blessing on to others. The wrong attitude, they are so blessed to have me. You know, it's an honor for me, for them to have me serve them. So that, that's completely the wrong attitude. So serve, but serve knowing that you are serving because God has blessed you. You know what else you can do is seize your commute, is how C.J. Mahaney put it. Um, well, the people that live in cities often commute at least 20 or 30 minutes to work. It's not much different here if you're an old patch kind of guy. It's, it's half an hour to the closest one. And I think some of those Sonovas guys, it's an hour and a half each way, every day. And I know sometimes they nap and do other things, but if you're just sitting there staring out the window, that is the time you can be spending with God. A number of years ago, I discovered podcasts. My life hasn't been the same since. You get an iPod or a similar device. There are literally hundreds of very capable people, highly qualified people even, putting out podcasts every week. And the neat thing is, once you find one, iTunes will recommend similar ones for you. And I found some amazing men, and I love to listen to podcasts. I travel to Slave Lake usually once a month for work, so that four-hour drive, I load up my iPhone, and away I go, and I have a wonderful time. And so don't, don't waste your commute because a lot of people waste that time. It's time that they can never get back, but you can do something with it. Another thing to do is, is to carve out a specific time and place. If you don't make it a priority and set a time and a place for it, it's probably not going to happen, like most everything in life. If you get up in the morning and say, well, I should pray today, I'll get to it later. Later probably won't happen. After you get home from work, you'll be tired. Playoffs are on, got to watch the hockey game. Kids need help with their homework, right? So, but if you carve out a place and a time to do it and make it a priority, then it's much more likely to happen. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear people recommend to do it first thing in the morning. There's a few reasons for that. One, if it's a priority, then you'd make it, make it happen first thing, then it's done and it's guaranteed to happen during the day. Another reason then is it, it helps align you with God at the start of your day moving forward. However, some people are just not morning people. They struggle to get out of bed and stumble off to work. So if you're really not a morning person, carve out a time in the evening, your best time when you're alive and you're vibrant and you're ready to truly engage God. And the other thing that we can do is follow the path of those who have gone before. If you see someone that you respect, go ahead and talk to them. What do they do on a regular basis to maintain their relationship with God? Read biographies of great men and women of God. So what did they do? We can learn so much from those people. What about our kids? How can we teach our kids humility? You know what, kids, and if you have kids, you know this, they're very observant and they really pick up on things. <laughs> and like even Becky, she's only six, my, my little Becky, and she's starting to ask some pretty deep questions like how... How do we hear from God? Which is a tough question to answer at the best of times. And, and then we were talking about, um, she asked us about the cross the other day. She said, well, did Jesus just die with his arms and his legs? Like, no, no, he was all dead. Okay, but if he was all dead, how did he come back to life? It's like, well, 
I have to be honest with you, Becky, we really don't understand it. We just accept it. <laughs> how, do you, how do you explain that? But she's six. She's starting to ask these questions. The very thing. And the thing is, kids will see the difference between what we say and what we do. You know that great parental line, do what I say, not what I do? It's not a good one. <laughs> we need to model humility to our kids. And a few ways that we can do that. One, serve your spouse and your family. So if you're a man, serve your spouse and your family. I got to tell you, if you're having troubles in your marriage and you adopt that attitude, I bet you your marriage gets better pretty quickly. If you actively think, what does my wife need? What do my kids need? And you start to do those things, the kids will see that modeling for them. The other thing you can do is serve with your kids. If you are going to do something to help someone, and you can, bring a kid along. If you're dropping off a meal for someone, throw them in the back seat. So they see that, and they'll start to ask, well, why are we doing this? So you know what the Bible says? That we are to help those in need. This person's in need right now, and this is how we can help them. And the biggest one, I think, really, is apologize when you're wrong. We always tell our kids to apologize. Well, practice what you preach. If you've wronged your children, sit them down, look them in the eye, and say, look, Daddy was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? They will forgive you. They're your kids. They love you. But they need to see that forgiveness modeled to them. So now I have eight questions about humility that you can ask yourself that will help you see in what areas of your life you have pride. Number one, are you teachable? As I said before, proud people already know everything. They don't need you to tell them anything. So if you think that you don't have anything to learn, I'm sorry you're wrong. There's no nice way to say it. Interestingly enough, um, Donald Trump, he comes across as brutally arrogant on TV, and I don't know if it's an act. I've never met the man. But I did read an article where they were talking to his right-hand man, and it was very interesting. The first thing he said was, they said, you know, what, what makes you guys successful? He said, there's always something else to learn. That's the first thing he said, and I thought it was fascinating that the right-hand man to someone so, who appears to be so arrogant knows that being teachable is one of the greatest things. Number two, how do you respond to criticism and rebuke? Nobody likes to be criticized. Nobody, nobody does, and that's fine. But we need to be humble enough to consider what the other person is saying. Now, if it's someone you don't know and they walk up to you and say, look, you did this and you were wrong, you may or may not have to consider what they're saying. But if it's someone you know and they have the courage to come up to you and say, look, Ben, I have observed this in your life and, and I don't think it's right, we need to be humble enough to seriously consider what they're saying. And you know what? If they're right, do you repent quickly and thoroughly? So if you realize that you're wrong, do you seek forgiveness of that person and attempt to make it right? And I want to point out that the word repent does not mean to say I'm sorry. It's much, much more than that. The word repent is a literal turning away. So I'm heading this way. If I repent, I turn my back on that sin and I head in the other direction away from it. So it's much more than just saying, okay, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, right? It is consciously saying, I am turning away from that sin and I will not go towards it again. And a side point to that, if someone does come to you seeking repentance and asking for your forgiveness, be gracious enough to grant it. It takes a lot of courage to repent. Are you considerate of other people? In that section of scriptures in Philippians, it says, 
don't look out only for your own interests, but also the interests of those around you. So this doesn't mean that you give up everything you have for the sake of others. It just means that do you see what's going on to the people around you? Do you see more than just what's happening to you? Simple examples are, like we were at Costco a couple of weeks ago and two vehicles were coming up to one parking spot and one guy just <laughs> zoomed right in, right? Is it that big a deal? Can you walk a little further? Let that person have that spot. Go find another one. If you're in line at the grocery store and you got a giant cart full of stuff and there's a guy behind you with his steak for supper, do you let him go ahead so he doesn't have to wait forever? Simple things like that. It's just saying, you know, I, I, I see more than only what affects me. I guess that, that's how I'm trying to say it. Number five, do you receive service well? Um, proud people have trouble being served because it strikes at their self-sufficiency. No, 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 no. I serve people. I, I don't get served. I'm fine. I don't need your help. I'm good. What can I do for you? Really, no. What can I do for you? Right? Everybody needs help sometimes. Everybody needs help sometimes. It is not, I guess it is accepting weakness, but it doesn't make you any less of a person. In fact, it makes you more of a person to be willing to say, you know what, right now I am struggling and I need help. And if someone offers to help you to be humble enough to say, you know, I, I could sure use that help. Thank you very much. Are you consistently aware of God's grace in your life? I've already spoken about being thankful, and that's exactly what this is. If we spend more time thinking about what we have versus what we don't have, it'll be much easier to stay humble. So we need to be thankful, not covetous. So we're not looking at the 60-inch TV. We're thankful for our 55. We're not looking at the bigger house. We're thankful for our house. This is kind of a tough one. Can you disagree agreeably? Can you consider others' points of view? You know, a lot of churches have been torn apart based on arguments of proud people. Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. And therefore, we're not friends anymore. I got to tell you, there are base things in Christianity that we do already all agree on, right? God created the heavens and the earth. Man sinned, separated himself from God. Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, came back to life. He conquered death. And because of that, we can all be reconciled with God. He went back to heaven, and he's coming back for us at some point. Those are all base Christian beliefs that every church agrees on, if they're a Christian church anyway. But for example, the entire book of Revelations, Jesus is coming back. But there's about a thousand opinions as to when and how and where. Do those things really matter? Can we have a conversation about that? Well, I'm a pre-trib guy. I'm a post-trib guy. Okay, you know what? We're still both Christians. We can still love Jesus. We can still be friends, even if we disagree on those minor points. You know, more importantly as well, can you even consider their point of view? Do you have enough humility to think, you know, maybe I am wrong. Maybe they have a good point. It doesn't mean you have to end up agreeing with them. It just means you consider the fact, consider what they're saying. Maybe they are right. Maybe you are wrong. And number eight, how much attention and affirmation do you require? And this goes back to the attitude you have when you're serving. If you are serving to be noticed by men, then you're serving for the wrong reason. And you're going to end up being bitter because not all the time is your service going to be seen and complimented. But if you are serving for the right reasons, then you know that God is seeing what you're doing and that's all that needs to be happen. God sees what we do when we help other people even if no one else does. And that's what really matters. Because you know what the reward for a life well lived? 
is well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest today. That's what we're going for. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I saw you help so-and-so, that was great, say thank you. Don't dwell on it. Move on. Because if you dwell on that, you'll start to get pride back out of that. So yeah, if someone says, hey, you did a great job, well, thanks, appreciate it. Leave it at that. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. So, as I bring it to a close, if I could get the band to come up to the front, I want to give you the good news. If you are here today and you have accepted Christ, then you've been humble at least once. Accepting Jesus is a very humble thing because at that point you were saying, I am a sinner. I have fallen short. I have not done what I have, was supposed to do. I cannot be reconciled with God without the help of Jesus, without the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so that is, it's just such a deeply humble moment where you say, I can't do it alone, and I need Jesus' help. And you know what? If you're here and you haven't accepted Christ, now is your chance. You're not here by accident. God is calling out to you to accept him. He loves you. He cares for you. And he just wants to be reconciled with you. That's why he sent Jesus, is to be reconciled with you. So if God's tugging at your heart, don't fight it. Accept what God has done for us. There's going to be a few people, Hayward and Lynn, are going to come up here. I'm going to stay at the front while the band plays some songs. If you need prayer for anything, then you come up and we'd be happy to pray for you. But if God's tugging on your heart, come up so we can pray for you. Thank you. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.